Hey there, welcome to the Book of Medora podcast, the podcast where we discuss the lore of the Legend of Zelda. I'm your host, Crystal, and with me is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. Last we left off, we had just activated the second divine beast, Vanaboris. And now it's time to go to Death Mountain? Yeah. Sure. Terrytown said that they needed a Gorin, so we might as well go to the Gorins. Yeah. Divine Beast Varudania is the best Divine Beast because it has the best experience of you're approaching Death Mountain and you see this big robot crawling all over it. I agree. It's giant and then like you see it on the face of Death Mountain and it's huge. So the the scale is just nuts. You do get an immediate sense of how much space this thing takes up. None of the other ones have a reference point with their size, really. Yeah, not really. Ruta's in a giant lake. Yeah. With not a lot to see. Um, Meadow is up in the sky, and Naboris is in the desert. Meadow is still the one where it's like, if you don't see it first, you see it second. And the distance, the way that you can get further away from it and still see it does help communicate some of its scale. That is true. Yeah. And when it crash lands on... Rito Village. I remember, though, people losing their shit seeing Va Rudania when people were playing through the demo at E3 and whatnot, when people would just look off into the distance while they were on the plateau and Va Rudania would be walking on the mountain. They were like, what the fuck is that? So Va Rudania was our first real what is that moment. I guess Valmetto just kind of looked like a spaceship. A sky island. Yeah. Yeah, did people think that Skyloft was a thing because of Valmetto? Probably. Um, there's not a, a lot to talk about for the trek up Death Mountain. If you go unprotected, you'll catch fire. Yes. Not not all the way, but past, like, the tower. Yeah. Right? I like the hot springs on the way. Yeah. I'd like to think that um, a whole bunch of tourists would travel there just for the hot springs. I, I like the idea that these tourists like hot springs, especially natural hot springs, so much that they're willing to brave an environment so hostile that you will just burst into flames if you try to walk around in it. But we decided that Death Mountain got progressively hotter in the hundred years, didn't we? Oh yeah, absolutely, because a hundred years ago Zelda could just walk around and it was perfectly comfortable. Yeah. She could drink a Don't Catch on Fire when it's hot potion. <laughs> no, no, rub it across her body. That's not for... Uh... Not for eating. No, drinking it clearly works. It, it does work, but it's not the intended... Uh, we don't know that. Everybody else slathers it on their skin. Yeah. Why but bother, there's, though? There's two. There's the Grudo uh, mine uh, gem seller buyer. Right. And then there's Cass. Yep. They both mentioned smearing it on. Yeah, sure. Like cowards. <laughs> um, it is possible that she did drink something, but the, the Gorons are remarking that it's really really hot right now too yeah this is an unusual amount yes um there's a trio of i think they're called the Gorin blood brothers sure yeah that actually had to retreat from Gorin city because they just could not tolerate the heat you can find them a ways outside of Gorin city like where in a more temperate zone where they are literally training their bodies so that they can go back into Gorin City. You can also meet the brothers outside of Gerudo Desert. And 
there's a, a challenge they have where you have to sort of stand on a hot plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's two rounds, and you can cheat one of the two of the rounds. Can you? I think one you can use a potion, but the other one you can't. Oh, okay. Something sure. like that. That that endurance test game has a fun uh, song that plays during it. Yes, and all of them keel over. Yeah, they're not very good. No. <laughs> um, tourism was probably a very big uh, part of the economy, though, because... I... No? Why do you think that? They've got signposts set up, like 10 of them, across the mountain. That's true. Tourist highlights. But it's a mining town. Mining and tourism. All right, sure. And, you know, maybe they had the mining as a part of the tourism. Sure. If you could just sort of blow up a pile of rocks and get huge chunks of topaz and rubies, wouldn't you? Well, sure, I would, because I like pretty rocks. But also, the value of those gemstones, if they were accessible to the average person, would depreciate significantly. Not that I don't like the idea. They should depreciate significantly. But it's clear why they aren't worth much more than a really nicely cooked meal. You're just solidifying my theory, then. Yeah. Anybody can go and, and blow them up. Yeah. So, on the trek to Death Mountain, the first major point you hit is the Southern Mine. And conveniently, here is a disgruntled Gorin named Grayson. Yeah, Grayson and his little brother. I've written down his brother's name. Pellison. Grayson and Pellison. How convenient. So you talk to Grayson, and you tell him that, you know, working here in the mine, having to keep this schedule all the time, having your foreman yell at you constantly, maybe it's time for a change of scenery. And He wants to do more in the world, use his strength to better his surroundings. To make the world better for other people. So Link tells him about Terrytown, and he's like, that, that sounds perfect. I'm going to go tell my little brother, and we're going to go leave for that right now. And then you get the leaving for Terrytown music. It's very good. There's also some tourist guy who is willing to give up a part of his armor. His Gorin armor. Which must have cost him... Or, sorry, Flamebreaker armor. And it costs like five or six hundred per piece. He'll give it up for some lizards, which he will use as souvenirs. Because the armor's useless to him now. But he needs lizards to give to his friends and family. So if you bring him ten fireproof lizards, he'll give you this big chest piece, which will protect you all the way to Gorin City. I don't know if it was just me, but the lizards were really hard to come by when I first played through it. Um, there's like 12 of them in the immediate area of this guy, and they're easy to catch if you're wearing the stealth suit. So I didn't have any problems. It's not the lizards that are the problem for me. It's the flameproof, the smotherwing butterflies. Oh, yeah. The butterflies. Those are the ones. I hate those. Those only generate during, like, specific hours. They kept me from fully upgrading the Flamebreaker set. Didn't stop me. Oh, we forgot to mention that the eldest sister of the... Uh, we didn't cover most of the side quests in Gerudo Town. Never mind. But there's a fairy out in Gerudo Desert. Smack under... The windfish? Yeah, under the windfish's bones. Or one of them. Right. So anyway, you get your chest piece, and I still the economics don't work out great for this guy, and you make your way up Death Mountain. It's full of fire monsters, and even the regular monsters don't catch fire here, so I guess monsters are a lot more resilient than people are. The animals are catching on fire. 
Yeah, there, there's rare occasions that you might notice as a player where if you spook birds that aren't flame-proof so that they fly across into the flame zone, they will burst into flames in midair, which is a really, um, it's jarring the first time you see it. It's hilarious. It's advanced hunting. <laughs> yeah, it's like it lands, it's perfectly cooked. Yeah, you have to pick it up in a, a certain window of time to capitalize on the food. You Can just... you ride a horse up there? No, absolutely not. It's impossible to get a horse up here. I don't think you can even summon it once you have the teleporter stuff. That's good. Yeah. That's very good. Um, oh, I guess they probably have a rocky part that they have cuts several. the horses off. Yeah. Didn't somebody aim to like throw a cuckoo into Death Mountain? Yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was a video of like back in mid-2017... There was this time where people were just doing lots of wild things with Breath of the Wild. People are still doing wild things with the game, but back then it was like a big movement. And one of the things was trying to see if a chicken would just cease to be if you threw it into Death Mountain or any pool of lava. And it turns out if you throw a cuckoo into lava, it ceases to be, as I remember. That's good. It is it? Why is that good? Well, otherwise it would kill Link. Oh, okay, sure. Seems like a lot of effort, though. How do Hylians kill Kukos to eat? You have to hold them down and cut off their heads so they can't call for their friends. So they put them in a bag? Or maybe they don't eat Kukos. Maybe they just eat eggs from the Kukos. And they hunt wild game birds. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, the other question is, is Link... Like, he's working for Bolson Co., um, no, he's an independent contractor. Is he? Yeah. I guess he has to be. He's doing it, uh, he doesn't get paid for any of this, so, no, he's not working for them. Is he a volunteer? Kinda, yeah. He's like an unpaid intern. You don't have to have your name end in son to be an unpaid intern. <laughs> Why doesn't he insist on payment? He wants to help build Terrytown, I guess? They really should pay him. They should, but his name doesn't end in son, so they can't. I don't know if that will start stand up in the, you know... Don't you start with tribunal. your bullshit workplace tribunal. God, oh, Lord. Lord in heaven. There's no extant court system in Hyrule right now. So why are they going out of their way to find people that they have to pay? Because they want people who will stick around permanently. The thing about Link is he'll do things, but you can't rely on him to stick around forever. He's contributed like 800% to this organization. He don't kid around. He did definitely get the seed money going for getting Hudson over to the site of Terrytown in the first place. Does Link have a stake in Terrytown? Like as an investor? Yeah. Shares. No, absolutely not. (laughs) He might. No, Hyrule is not a capitalist society. Listeners can't see it but monica was staring at me just now and the level of quiet disapproval was off the charts no i'm fine with it not being a capitalist society because it ain't i'm just wondering about why not uh wabafit okay now um (laughs) well they make your they haven't yet uh authorized the buying of shares in order to fund colonial expeditions yes this is a colonial expedition it is most certainly not they're colonizing. What are they colonizing? Akala. A, one, Akala's already in the dominion of Hyrule. It was kind of lost. 
They're recolonizing. Two, colonizing kind of implies that there's people there. Does it? In the context in which we're talking about. They have a colony. It's not not a colony. It's a... I I think there's a difference between building some houses like a couple miles away from the town you live in and sailing across the ocean to take over other people's land. Very true. This is Monica saying that Bolson Co. and the East India Company are exactly the same. That is not. You heard it here first, folks. This is why I don't have a Twitter. <laughs> um, what I appreciate about the trek to Goran City is that there aren't too many Koroks around because it's not a very fun place to try to explore off the path. At least not until you've got the necessary stuff. Right. But it does mean that you'll see spots where you go, I bet there's a Korok up there, and then there's not. Yes, that happens a bunch. But they really don't like the volcano. No, apparently not. There are a couple of them. They are around. They don't care. Do you think they have to apply, like, lotion, too? No, they're fine. They won't catch on fire? No. That's good. I'd be worried. There's a lot of fan comics of Koroks being found, staring at Link, and then bursting into flames. But that's not canon. Um, you run into the classical Octorok here, I guess. Oh, yeah, the one that actually, uh, wait, when you say classical, how do you mean? They suck up and, and shoot rocks. But lots of Octoroks spit rocks in this game. And they're on land? A lot. I guess the other ones are, too. Yeah. In fact, uh, aquatic Octoroks are much more rare. Okay, you run into the Octoroks that you can throw rusty equipment into to make shiny again yeah yeah they'll inhale your rusted equipment and then spit it back out at you and depending on how far you've progressed in the game that equipment may come back as being very good so we talked about the goran blood brothers and we've already gotten all this stuff have we made it to goran city yet we've made it to goran city where the guard clan greets you as master link the hylian champion because he's very bored, and I think he's greeting all of the Hylians as... Master Link, the Hylian champion. Yes. Link has a momentary, like, wait, hold the fuck up, how? And the guy's like, what, what is that? I've been, uh, Was that rude? I've been calling people that all day. It's, it's really boring as guard duty because nobody's going there. Yeah. So it's a good, it's a good joke, though. Mm-hmm. Also, his guard duty shouldn't be that boring because there is a moblin fortress like 200 meters down the road he should really be like alerting everyone so they can go take care of that no time no time it's not in the boundary of the city i um Gordon city's okay i like it it's very hot yeah do you have any thoughts on Gordon city in particular crystal i like that you can just run your way up there on fire and run into the shop <laughs> <laughs> and have a conversation with the shop owner while on fire. Where he'll be like, "You should probably buy one of some flame breaker armor, but you do have to pay up front." Like the guy <laughs> has this really expressive panic look on his face when he's talking to you. He's like, "How did you even get up here? You should buy some armor right now." But we're not going to save your life. No, without rupees, he would definitely just watch you burn to death. Maybe they are a capitalist society. Maybe just the Gorns. Too much concentrated wealth has given them a very strange idea about what money is worth. Every uh, shop around here is super macho sounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Gorn City's 
masculine coding is even stronger than being the opposite of the Gerudo feminine coding. There's the protein palace, which you got to question this person's business sensibilities because <laughs> it's it's like uh they've got like an enormous griddle set up that you can cook food on, but when you ask him about it, he's like, "Yeah, business is kind of slow though because people can just throw food on the ground and it'll do the same thing here." But I guess the the griddle is cleaner. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? That's worth it. Sure. And there's like, I can't remember the name of the shop, but it was something like Rip and Tear or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rip and Tear. Or Ripped something. and Shredded. Shredded. There we go. Muscles. Muscles. Um, you, you encounter the home of the Blood Brothers, and yet they <laughs> explicitly have left. To go train their bodies to be big, huge, strong guys. And there's Pluto. Bludo, the big brother of the Gorn. So I think he's just called the chief in this one. Big brother isn't actually a term. He's called the boss. Yeah, boss of the Gorns. I think they are capitalists. Oh. All right. Maybe the Gorns are. They're a little corporation. Oh, okay. Kind of fucked up. They've also carved giant heads on the mountain. Yeah. And they're like the likenesses of Gorn heroes. Uh, Daruni is up there. Uh... Link the Gorin is up there. Oh, is that who it is? Daruk is up there. Is Darmani up there? I don't think so. Are you going to check now? Yeah, I'm going to look that up. <laughs> the Gorins do have excellent design. Yeah, they're very expressive in this one. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't find a good screenshot of the Gorin statues here, so we'll just have to like leave that up to the imagination. But Darunia and Daruk are definitely up there. How do they remember how Darunia looks like? I imagine there's a statue of him somewhere. Statues last a long time. 10,000 times 10,000? I love the Gorons in this game because they use their cartoony features to make them super expressive in a way that they were not in Ocarina of Time or any of the older games. Because, like, back in Ocarina, they just had these big black eyes that made them look almost like puppies or rabbits. But in this one, they've got, like, huge whites to their eyes. So when they open it up even wider... Okay, yeah, it's Daruk up top. Is that Darunia? Is that Darunia right there? The right in the center is definitely Darmani. Okay. Yeah, that looks like Darmani. All right, there's Darmani. Why is Darmani here? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. At... Why? Why is Darmani here? Yeah, why is Darmani here? I know that Dar- uh, that Daruni is on here somewhere, and that's definitely like Link the Gorum. Well, why is Darmani here? Um, Ocarina of Time Link came back and relayed the story of some great guy. Maybe he kept the mask and sometimes became Darmani. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of different designs for all of the Gorons. Like, the little Gorons are really, really cute. Yeah, kid Gorons are, like, the cutest things in the game. And then there's the old rickety ones. And then there's the regular Gorons. Does that one just have a beard? Yeah, the old Gorons often have huge beards. That's cute. I guess they have top knots, too. Yeah. Everybody in Hyrule has hair. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't they? Some of them are birds 
And they have hair. Back in the day, this implies that Gorons back in the day, like, used to have hair on top of their heads, too. They just kept it clipped real short, like an ascetic monk thing. That makes sense. Sure. I think. Why not? So, Bluto is the boss, and he's an old Goron, and his back is thrown out, or at least very achy, and he lets Link know that he and some youngster named Yonobo have been keeping Vavrudania at bay. Because it, it periodically comes down to Goron City and they have to drive it off. Specifically, Bluto uh, fires the cannons in the area, and I but- guess... They don't really tell you how that works just yet. Well, no, he he meant. Doesn't he mention that he does fire Yunobo? No, no, no. Yunobo's the one who tells you that oh, okay. when you actually go to do it. Oh, I see. Um, but but Bluto's back is hurting right now, and Yunobo was supposed to go get some painkillers from the Northern Mine, the abandoned Northern Mine. Abandoned, I guess, because there's too many monsters. Yeah, and. Link should go find this mysterious youngster. Yeah. So off you go. But it's a level two bad zone. So you need two pieces of armor? You never really need three, do you? No, never. You need either two pieces of protective armor, one piece and a protective potion, or a really strong protective potion. And this is a fun sequence where you fight your way across the uh, northern mine because you use cannons that are set up... uh, and you pulled the triggers on them by using hammers, and they fire, and it blows up all these Lizalfos. It's just a lot of fun. You explode things. It's good. You can aim them, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some of them. Some of them at least a little bit. I guess the Gorns have separate explosives that we never really need. Yeah. So eventually you make your way over to Unibo. Well, you make your way over to the storehouse, which is where the medicine is kept, but it's blocked by this big rock. So to get inside where someone is trapped and they're calling for help, uh, you have to shoot it with a cannon. And the cannon is extremely destructive, and it utterly obliterates the storehouse. (laughs) But luckily, uh, the person inside, Unibo, survived because he has a big crystalline magic shield thingy. Otherwise Link would have killed him. Otherwise Link would have uh, accidentally murdered him. So that's something. Unibo is very cute. Unibo's a good boy. Um, we put off talking about this before, but now's the right time. Unibo reads extremely differently depending on the voice language that you use for this game. Hmm. What are the differences? Well, I'm not as versed in all of the other different language versions. I don't really know how he sounds in French or German or Castellan Spanish or what have you, but... In English, Unibo sounds like a young man or a upper years teenager. Like, he's pretty close in age to Link. But in Japanese, he sounds like an 11-year-old and like a really Genki 11-year-old. Like, he sounds like one of the flashback Naruto's from real early in that series. So the way that his timidity reads... It's just very different to me based on the voice that he has and the age that he's supposed to be. So in Japanese, he could just be a very, very big youngster akin to, like, Pellison. Yes. Poor Unibo. <laughs> he's, he's hit his first growth spurt, and he's undoubtedly eventually going to be enormous. But he's considered fairly scrawny for Agoran, which I guess is why he has that 
eight pack just sitting out where you can see it. None of the or other Gorons have eight packs. Yeah, you're supposed to put on some body fat. Oh, I see. And that's why he refers to himself as scrawny, because you can see all of his extremely well-defined musculature. Well, it's like the bottom half of his belly is like a, a beer gut, and then the top half is just incredibly ripped abs. <laughs> He's so strong looking. In in Japanese, apparently Bo is a diminutive for a young boy. Oh, okay. You know Bo? And I read that the Chinese translation is, um, his name is Ayun. Ayun? Ah is like a... Oh, yeah. Like a, f- a familiar term for a guy. Okay. It's really cute. Anyway, Unibo's very good. Um, we have hey, what are these to- painkillers made of? <laughs> uh, some kind of mineral, I guess. Mushrooms? What do, what do you think they are, Crystal? I mean, in olden times, people would just put opium in alcohol. Well, I mean, Hyrule is not olden times really they have pretty advanced technology do they, they have the technology to synthesize like modern painkillers i don't see why not okay. i mean <laughs> aspirin's just derived from a willow tree isn't it right the ancient greeks would just chew on willow bark because it had the salicylic acid in it they they do make eye drops out of frog eyes or whatever sure but also this is more than ten thousand years after that yes far more I mean, disease is never really much of a thing in Hyrule. Their medical, like, the state of medicine in Hyrule has to be pretty decent. Well, actually, do we really believe Bluto? What do you... Oh, okay. One of the things about how Bluto is handled during this sequence is that it's not always clear if his back is actually in really bad shape or if he's starting to get scared of Varudania, and he can't reveal that because he has to keep up that air of machismo. I I think it's absolutely the latter. Really? Uh Uh-huh. What makes you say that? Um, This is jumping ahead a bit, but... Well, we go along the quest. Uh, You you save Unibo... And he, he goes back. He goes back. With no, the medicine. Don't you go back with the medicine? You have to go to Pluto. He goes to the Bridge of Elden. Oh, so he's going to meet you there? He's going to meet He's going to meet Pluto there. Yeah, he intends to meet Pluto there. Right. But even after Pluto takes the painkillers, his back throws out magically again. Right. He's achy, and he can't go. He just can't. Monica, he's very old. He is very old, and he's got an eye patch, so he's cool, I guess. Yeah. But um, after this whole ordeal, you go back to him, and he's like, ah, you know, if only you'd, you'd waited, I could have handled Valrudania all by myself. Now that you've done it, now it just makes me it seem like I was a sham. Oh, yeah, he does Needing say those painkillers or not actually needing them. Uh, hmm, hmm, uh, hmm. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think he got scared and it's thematic to the rest of Goran City. Where it's like this facade of masculinity. Right. And the only effective people here are, are Link and Unibo. Not particularly manly as the Gorans go. Uh, what do you think of this reading of Bluto's character, Crystal? That makes sense to me. That seems to be a recurring theme in this version of the Gorons, that they are uh, overly obsessed with being manly. 
So it's like Unibo is the only one who's actually just the soft boy that everyone else pretends not to be. Exactly. I think they're gaslighting him. <laughs> oh. So is Goran City actually a halfway erudite, like, critique of toxic masculinity? At least in part. Yeah, I'd say so. Huh. I never would have thought of it that way. God, Unibo's hands are enormous. I think they're just making up that he's scrawny, too. No, Unibo's the one who says no, it. No, no, he's internalized it. Oh, okay. The poor thing. Oh, poor baby. Unibo's a very timid person. When he first runs into Link, he thinks that the monsters have broken through and that they're going to kill him. And his whole thing is that, like, he's really scared of almost everything, but he'll push through it if somebody's there to help him. Because, you know, he's still a kid, basically. Yeah. I like how he wears... That must be Daruk's. No, Daruk must have had that blue. How did he get that? Um, Aren't all of the second generation champions wearing that same color, though? Are they? I don't know. I it's mean, particularly prominent on Unibo. True. Yeah, Daruk wears a sash that is the same color as Link's champion's tunic. And it looks almost like Unibo is wearing that sash as a scarf. But we know that Daruk was wearing it when he was killed yeah so i don't know it is interesting that he's wearing that color though yes and now i'm checking riju she's not really wearing anything like that all right fair enough um we haven't really talked about it very much but the way that the game is set up is that you're introduced to these champions who are your friends from the past whose ghosts you are trying to do right by they're the people that you failed essentially and there's always another person in the present who is related to them either culturally or by blood that you're trying to help out and who help you face off against the divine beasts, the corrupted powers of the previous champions. And those three individuals are, or four individuals are Sidon, Riju, Unibo, and we'll meet him later, uh, Teba. And I'm going to forget this question by the time we get to talking about Teba, but I wanted to ask you two, and particularly Crystal, how do you think that the current crop of champion relations stack up against the champions themselves as characters? Sidon hmm. and Mifa are both pretty good. Yeah. Daruk and Yenobo are both pretty average. Oh. Riju and Urbosa are both pretty good. And Rivali and Teba both kind of suck. <laughs> So they're about equal to each other. Yes. So how would you rank the four current companions against each other then? Hmm. Sidon, Riju, Unobo, Teba. It's a good list. How about you, Monica? That sounds about right. Oh, I, re I really like Unobo, though. I'd have to think about that one. But Sidon kind of has to be number one with a bullet. Yeah, and Riju's pretty great. Riju's great. Uh... I don't know. I like them all for different reasons. Not so much Teba, I guess, but Teba's cool. He's just cool. He's the only one of these characters who's given so little space to work that they gave him one trait, and that's being cool. Teba's a good design. He's a great visual design. He's easily, like, uh, we'll talk about it when we get to the to the Rito, I he's guess. A, yeah. He's a cool dad, like Hawkeye. Oh, Teba's way cooler than Hawkeye. Let's get real oh, here. Oh, I wouldn't say he's way cooler than Hawkeye. I okay, Teba. The... <laughs> no, 
<laughs> no, no, Teba can fly for one. And in terms of appearance, he's way cooler than Hawkeye. Hawkeye beat Iron Man with just a bow and arrow. I, so? Well? That's, that doesn't make Hawkeye cool. It makes Tony Stark a chump. Hawkeye is a carny. Was he a carny? Yes. In the MCU. Uh, well, not clear in the MCU. Alright. I just can't get over how the actor is a total jackass. No, Jeremy Renner sucks. Yeah, Monica has had that character ruined for her forever by Jeremy Renner over the he past He really tried years. hard and he succeeded. Good job. Which is a double shame because he's a pretty decent actor. No. Yeah, see, this is what happens. Once Monica hates you, you're not any good at anything. <laughs> um, but Unibo, Unibo's good. Uh-huh. Unibo's a good boy. Unibo is better than Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Wait, now we're talking about <laughs> Hawkeye, the character, has been most recently ruined by expressing his grief at losing his family by pretending to be Japanese. That was 10 years ago, or do we think that's happening in the movie? That seems to me what is happening in the upcoming Avengers film. Is he... Re- oh, when when Monica and I get back from visiting my family in Louisiana, the day afterward, we're going to watch Endgame. And if he puts on the Ronin outfit and calls himself Ronin, I am going to lose my shit completely. He has a sleeve tattoo of a skeleton samurai. No! No, no, no. Oh, no. This is going to be bad. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. I'm so looking forward to the MCU ending. People grieve in many different ways. (laughs) What was was it that you tweeted the other day? You do not, in fact, need to allow a few months of the racisms? Uh, Yes. A correction of my previous tweet regarding American war criminal Clint Barton. Under no circumstances do you allow one month of racism in mourning. God. Back to the Gorns. There's an interesting, like, target-shaped pattern all over the city. And you'd think that that was the Gorn city symbol, but Unibo clearly has the sort of paw print Gorns ruby. Yeah, he's got the Gorns ruby symbol on him, which is very interesting because it implies that that's a family heirloom. Yeah. So he's descended from Daruk. We do know that Daruk is his ancestor, so to speak. But him carrying that symbol sort of implies that Daruk is also descended from previous big brothers like Darunia. Yeah. You don't see that symbol anywhere else in the city, do you? No. It's almost like a family crest. I think that... uh, We've talked about this briefly already, but the constant reference to uh daruk as unibo's ancestor makes me think that gorons have like a 20 year lifespan that's an interesting thought and that it's not because if if he was you know the father or grandfather you just use that word nobody's ever anybody's father or son in goron city though you you, in this game uh, we never yeah there's brothers there's brothers but we don't actually see any parent relationships in this game like Culturally speaking, that may just not be a thing. Like, Ancestor's it, it, a weird word. Ancestor is a weird word. but Parent? I mean, no. Parent of the parent? What if they don't think of it as parentage, though? Because, like, what if Gorons, like, say they don't reproduce by budding. Let's say that they carve each other out of rocks. Unibo could be over a hundred. He could have been carved by Daruk not long before Daruk died. And huh. you call him your ancestor instead of your progenitor, so to speak. That's, what you, that's interesting. 
What do you think, Crystal? I think Yonobo's over 100 years of age. What? <laughs> oh. He's been getting gaslighted for a very long time about how skinny he is. Yes, I think Gorons live a very long time. You and don't like my 20-year lifespan theory? I don't. That seems really short. I actually what we know about Gorons. I find that deeply depressing as an idea. <laughs> like, if you just said that they had a Hylian lifespan and that Unibo is two generations removed, then sure, that'd be one thing. Does any Goron remember the hundred years ago? No. Not that we're aware of. Bluto mm. doesn't seem to... Bluto s- seems like the oldest Goron in the village. There's a couple of old timers, but none of them mention knowing Daruk. Maybe Monica's right, then. <laughs> Bluto is 21. Well, I mean... Oh, God. <laughs> no, I'm not going with that one. We could just say that they have, like, normal human-style lifespans. Nah, they're norm- Solarians. No! No, they don't die they at 40. live to 40 in the space future. God, when you live to 40 in the space future, you know your people aren't very long-lived. You get to hit... they hit 18 and they have a midlife crisis the solarians yeah but they also don't sleep so their lifespan is effectively uh one third longer oh okay cameron lives in cameron lives in a world where maybe people sleep 12 hours a day they don't sleep i did they not sleep solarians sleep one hour oh that's pretty good yeah and who knows how long their day is huh yeah the things that they don't really get into very much in Mass Effect. All the questions we want answered. Like, how long are the days on Sirkesh? Yes. So let's go after Varudania. Sure. So, because Bluto can't, Link goes and meets up with Unobo at the Bridge of Elden. And Unobo explains that the way that this works is that he will use Daruk's protection, which is his special magical force field, uh, load himself into a cannon, and he'll be fired out of it at Varudania. And he'll be fine, because Daruk's protection is just that strong. But the impact is so powerful that it knocks Rudania off course and usually drives it away. You have to do this, like, three times? Yeah. It's actually... I think that this sequence is actually pretty fun. This is the one that people tend to hate the most of all of the uh, Divine Beast approaches. And it's the only one that you can't really consider a fight. It's more of a combination stealth sequence and puzzle sequence. But I think that it's a lot of fun, actually. You can totally just destroy all the sentries. You can. Not immediately, but you can. I mean, there's like metal boxes all over the place and you just plonk them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can smash them. But it's hard to do right off the bat for the first couple. And it's fun because Unibo is a Wind Waker style companion here where you command him to either follow you or stay in place. And that's a lot of fun because whenever you tell him to stay in place, he stands like really rigid as if waiting for a military inspection. <laughs> and you keep shooting him at Varudania a bunch and you drive Varudania up the mountain. And eventually you shoot Varudania so hard that it falls inside of Death Mountain. And Unibo's like, I, I've had enough and I can't see straight. This has been more impacts to my, like, I didn't know that Gorons could get concussions before this moment. And, and Link just jumps into the caldera of Death Mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you two think of this approach sequence? Uh, I would say it's my least favorite one, but I don't hate it. Fair enough. 
I thought it was fine. Um, I liked it better than the sand seal thing. Oh, really? I did not like the sand seal thing. Fair enough. It's got a fun song here. I like it. The music on Death Mountain is really good. It includes a motif from the dungeon theme. Or is it the... Is it the Death Mountain theme from uh, from the original Legend of Zelda, or is it the dungeon theme? I can't it's remember. It's the final dungeon. Oh, okay. Theme, I think. Spectacle Rock. Do 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 do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Wait, isn't that in every dungeon? Is it? You played that game more than I did. That's true. Anyway, there's also as we journey up here, there's a giant rib cage in the lava. Yeah. What do you think that is? How giant are we talking? Uh, very viewable from the map. Oh, so is it, like, bigger than Varudania? I don't know. It's probably a Dudongo. Oh, so you're thinking that this is like... Crystal, you dubbed the massive Dodongo that makes up Dodongo's cavern as Go Dodongo, right? Mm-hmm. So you're thinking, Monica, that this might be another example of Go Dodongo... I don't know why that's such a tongue twister for me. Go Dodongo... Damn it! You know the thing I'm trying to say. Go Dodongo. Yeah, yeah, that one. It's not that big. Like, Link runs on the ribcage, and I think there's a Korok there because, of course. Right. But it's not like holding up the rooftop of a cavern. So it's not quite as large as, say, the bones that are littered throughout the Gerudo Desert, which dwarf the Leviathan. They're a little bit smaller than that. There are some... We talked about this in an earlier episode. There are some long dead creatures in this setting that existed on a scale that makes the divine beasts look relatively quaint in comparison and i love that i love i love everything about it let's in get into va rudania crystal what was it you said about why va rudania is your favorite because you see it crawling on death mountain and you can see the scale of it and because you can see it from so far away, you wonder what it is. That makes sense. What do you think of it as a dungeon? I'm trying to remember what was the thing in this dungeon that distinguishes it from the other ones. It starts off dark. It yeah, starts off black. dark. And you have to, like, get through a lot of the dark part bef- using fire to light your way before you can activate it and turn it to let the light in. Okay. You can tilt it. It's a one tilt thing. Yeah. It hasn't killed one. Yeah. It hasn't got a... It's got only two degrees of control, I think. So it's probably outside of Varuta, the simplest of the Divine Beasts to get through. Except for the darkness thing. Darkness isn't too much of a puzzle. No. It makes you afraid to go in, but... The scale of the Divine Beasts seems like they get much larger once you're actually on them. This is something that jumps out at me a lot more when we're talking about, say, Varuta... Because when you actually look at Varuta from the ground, it doesn't look that big. But when you're trying to walk down its trunk, its trunk is like 150, 200 meters long. It's hard to measure. It's huge. It's big. It's big. They're all big. I, I, I know that I'm harping on this and I'm repeating myself, but I just love how big things are in this game. And I hope that the size of things carries forward in future Zelda games in this style. I love big you love crawling on top of things. I love walking on big. And possibly killing them. Kill big. You tiny. Me tiny, but kill big. Good game. <laughs> you activate the five thingies. And then the fire blight Ganon comes out. He's not too hard. No. 
If He's he, got a giant cleaver sword. It has a derivative of Daruk's protection that it uses to protect itself while drawing in energy for a big fire attack. But for some reason, your bombs can slip through this protection and will explode it and stun it so you can beat it up. Fire Blight Ganon, to me, is the easiest of these fights. And that includes the easiest of the fights that you do in the Champions Ballad DLC. Yeah, I agree. Or Vemeto, uh Wind Blight. Vemeto is... Uh, the Wind Blight is, I think, marginally harder than the Fire Blight. Especially in Master Mode, because it's not as easy to keep up a constant stream of damage on it. Though... It's like there's a power gap between everything else versus the Water Blight. And the Thunder Blight? The Thunder Blight. It goes Water Blight, Power Gap, Thunder Blight, Power Gap, and then either of the other two. We beat up Fire Blight. And then Daruk's like, hey, you did it. Good job. (laughs) Man, that was cool of you. Now I'm free. We're going to just mess up Ganon's entire day. Oh, I feel so good about it. Hey, who's that kid up there? Yeah, um... He sees Yunobo as he's thinking about how the Gorons are doing, and Yunobo sees Daruk. And they kind of wave at each other. Yeah. Nobody else sees these ghosts. Yeah, Yunobo's the only one. He gets that little connection with his ancestor because he needs that grounding. He does. Everyone else has their own thing going on, different things that... Yunobo is the person who has the least support for the growing up that he has left to do. Does he get more grown-up-ish afterwards? No. I mean, kind of. If you go back and talk to Bluto later, Bluto's like, I don't know exactly what you did, but Unibo seems to be taking things a lot more seriously lately. That's good. That'll prevent him from getting gaslit. No, it won't. (laughs) But it might give him the tools that he needs to deal with it better. That's true. Well, that wraps up Gorn City. Uh, can we talk about just one of the side quests? Is it the brothers? Hell yeah, it's the brothers. Did you take any notes on this? No. Okay. Well, um, there is a particular Gorin in Gorin City who's in his house, and when you talk to him, he's like, I'm worried about my little brother. He's really obsessed with the idea of finding this special treasure that's hidden in this region of Death Mountain. And he's been gone for a couple of days, Now, the thing about him is he gets real weak if he goes without food like anyone does. But he's so absorbed in his work that sometimes he'll go days without eating. So is it possible that you could go check up on him and make sure that nothing is going wrong? Because he really needs to come back and stop worrying about this treasure, chasing this impossible dream. And Link is like, okay, well, I guess I can go do that. This sounds like something that'll end in a shrine. So off Link goes. And, of course, he finds the brother who is in an extremely dangerous area that's surrounded by monsters. And in order to reach the brother, you have to, like, fight your way past some dangerous dudes and get past a bunch of fire choo-choos. And when you find the little brother, he's collapsed in front of the wall that he was trying to dig through. And he's huge. He's of the same size or larger than the elder brother. That's a theme that I think Japanese games really love. The younger brother just being a lot huger than the older brother. Yeah. And when you talk to him, he's like, so weak, shouldn't have chased my dreams. (laughs) (laughs) And as you turn around to bring news of his well-being to the elder brother, the elder brother is at the mouth of the cavern. He's like, little brother. And he runs over to him and he's like, oh, now I understand everything that you were going through. 
the beauty of the purity of heart that led you to pursue this dream. And then he turns to Link and says, You've already done so much for us, but I have to ask one more thing of you. If you can go to the top of this ridge and retrieve a piece of rock sirloin for us, I'll be able to restore my brother to health. And so Link has to go through and do this really fun but bullshit sequence where you grab a rock sirloin and run down with it while you're being hounded by bacoblins. They go right for you. They go for it. Also, this is the best side quest in the game. I'm just putting that out there right now. (laughs) Goron City is worth it for this one fucking side quest. And you manage to get the rock sirloin down to the elder brother and he's like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to save my little brother by producing for him the ultimate meal. The perfect rock sirloin. So you take the rock sirloin and you throw it onto the fire. And it's just this big rock with a bone sticking through it. Which is very in keeping with how these were depicted back in Majora's Mask. And it's tossed about on the cook pot that you've been using throughout the entire game. And a cooked rock sirloin is just like a regular rock sirloin. Only it's red hot and there's heat wafting out from within the cracks. So it's like on the edge of melting on the inside and the smell of it revives the little brother and he jumps up and he has a completely unique animation that you see nowhere else in the game where he goes to town eating this thing and it's really detailed the way that he crunches through and bites into it with his molars and he talks about how delicious and perfect and seared it is as he's eating And after he's done, he says that all of his strength is restored and that the love of his brother has driven him to have all the strength necessary to finish this work. And he just blasts through the rest of the side of the cavern. And of course, there's a shrine behind it. But the brothers commiserate and then they go back home. I I do love this quest. It's the best. I do love the the general Hyrulean reaction to shrines, though. They're like, huh, all right. Some of them are like, oh, it's just a shrine. It's perfect. Kind of mirrors a lot of player reactions to shrines, actually. Yes. But I like that side quest. Crystal, what do you think of that side quest? The best side quest in the game. You would agree with that? Hmm. I'm trying to... I I can't think of a better one. one, It is heartwarming. It's just so silly, but it's also so earnest. What what would compare to that, I wonder? Does Terrytown count as a side quest? Hmm. I think Terrytown's too big to be lumped in with the kind of conversation that we're having. Terrytown's like its own subplot. What, what? Maybe the one where you have to go out and tell the lady who's passed out at the shrine in the middle of the Gerudo Desert that there is a, uh, what's it called? Noble, noble, pursuit. there's a noble pursuit waiting for her. And she goes from dead of dehydration to like, oh, fuck this. I'm out of here. <laughs> and just <laughs> runs off. Gonna get my drink. They're both very good. That's it. That's. I think that's my favorite Gerudo Town side quest. Boots. Uh, boots. Shit. Boots is really good. Mm. I still think it's my favorite one. though. Yeah. Now we're done with Death Mountain. Let's go to Tabantha. What's at Tabantha? Uh, uh, the Rito? Well, there's a great fairy on the way. Yeah. This was the last great fairy I reached. Ditto me. I guess probably for you too, right, Crystal? Hmm. Yeah. It was a couple years ago. Um... The third iteration of the upgrade is interesting. Oh, right. We haven't really talked about how it progresses. Um, Every time you get a level of upgrade for your armor, and there are four upgrade levels, you get a different animation. At the first level, 
They just kind of blow wind at you, which you can understand later as them blowing a kiss. At the second level, they will kiss their fingertip and then press it against Link's face. At the third level, they just come in full on for the straight on uh, lip to lip contact. And Link like hides his eye, hides his face behind his hands, but then he peeks out between his fingertips as it's coming in. So it's like, you know what you're here for, and you know what you want, but you're still shy about it. And then the third one is, um, they fourth pick him. One? Yeah, thir- fourth one. I'm sorry. You you describe the fourth one. No, Crystal, you describe the fourth one. The fourth level of the fairies? Yeah. You mean where they kill you? Monica, you describe the fourth one. <laughs> you get snuggled and then drowned. <laughs> okay. So, hmm. You know what? Fair enough. And uh, Monica is describing it basically. They're very excited. They pick you up, hug you to their chest, and then plunge down into the waters with you while Link is like, wait, I don't know if I signed up for this one. Fade to black. Cut back to Link, like, struggling to his feet on the platform. Yeah, you got killed. (laughs) I would have said that it was more sexual than getting murdered, but okay, sure. He didn't sign up for it the first time, but he comes back and upgrades a bunch more, so... Yeah. By then. Yeah, you know, yeah. The player knows, especially. I like Tabantha a lot. As a region? As a region. Why is that? It's sort of chilly. Not too bad, though. Um, If you hack at the grass, you'll find the... Was it wheat or rice? Tabantha wheat. Okay. And so just chop all the grass, okay? Monica loves any game that gives her an excuse to cut down grass. Yes, I love the Zelda games. And, you know, it's just nice feeling. It hasn't it does have a good atmosphere. It's Canada. Is it Canada? Yeah. Okay, so does that make like the Hebra region northern Canada? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure, why not? Buy your snow outfits here in Canada. Okay, uh, Crystal, would you say this upcoming segment is probably the leanest of all the major areas? It's hard to even describe the Rito as a full segment. Okay. Uh, it feels wh- like something is missing in the middle. Why don't you tell us about the Rito Village then? Okay, well, you go to the Rito Village, and it's like, uh, it's it's in, what's the region that it's in? Tabantha. Tabantha? Is- yeah. Yeah, it's on the northeast edge of Tabantha, right? Yes, Tabantha. Right near the Hebrew region. Right, so like it's it's in the middle of a big canyon, and there's like a big spire where the village is, which is built around another big spire on top of the plateau of another spire. And Very spirally. Yes, and Vameto is flying right above the, the central spire. So how are... You are directed to go meet Teba. The way that that works is, um, you first you find Teba's wife Saki, who is like the most femme character in the entirety of the Legend of Zelda, and she'll mention that she's worried about her husband Teba. But if you ask about it, she'll be like, uh, "Maybe now is not a great time." So you can't actually progress until you go and talk to the elder of the village, who's this big owl guy. And then after the owl guy's like, huh, you seem really trustworthy. Then Saki will tell you what's up. You're directed to go meet Teba, who is hanging out on his own in the middle of another canyon, practicing his archery skills so he can go uh, shoot down Vameto. 
when he should really be at home taking care of his daughter. Son? Daughter? Child. Child. Chick. Chick. Uh, well, Teba and another uh, Rito named Hearth have already tried to assault Vemetto. Hearth is the, um, he's the bow maker of the village. Yeah, and Hearth got injured in the attempt. Teba's okay, and he's like, I can, I can do it again now, and with just one person, it'll go fine. I'm cool, like Rivali. Yeah, you uh, tell us about Teba, Crystal. Teba's a cool guy with cool eyeliner, and he he wants to take down Vameto because Vameto keeps attacking anyone who flies too high. Flying's kind of important to the Rito. Yeah. And he doesn't he doesn't think you're ready to go on the assault with him. He's a cool guy who can do it all by himself and doesn't need any help. So he gives you a test to see if you can hit some targets while flying in this little canyon he's in that has gusts of wind to keep you afloat while you shoot the targets. It's Rivali's training range. Yes. This is the exact same spot that Zelda saw Rivali test out Rivali's Gale. And you pass. Because Link has uh, bullet time shooty powers in midair. He does have that. So Teba just gives you some bomb arrows. So you pass the test and then you go on to fight the Divine Beast. Yeah, it's a really short critical path in this one. Yeah, Yeah. it feels like there's something missing. Yeah, I guess so. Just a little bit. There's there's quite a few side quests that you can get from this area. And the size of it, it makes it take a little bit longer to get around, depending but yeah, it's easily the shortest, especially if you're just on the critical path. And Teba also has no connection or you know significance um, relating to Rivali. He's just some guy. He's just like... He's just kind of refreshing, I guess, but... Rivali had no family that we were aware of. Yeah. Like, he had no personal connections that we were aware of. So Teba is actually more fleshed out in terms of his placement in the world than Rivali was. Yeah. Which is weird. He's still Rivali's successor, though, because he's a self-important asshole. Yeah. Huh. Now that you mention it, Crystal, yeah, it's almost like they're missing the equivalent of the trek up Ploymus Mountain. Right. Or the trip to the Northern Mines, or the run through the Yiga Fortress. Uh-huh. Huh. Yeah, we only got Act 1 and Act 3 of this. It's like the whole thing with the training ground is supposed to be it. Did they imagine that it would take us, like, 15 tries to hit those targets? It's not a particularly difficult test. It's the easiest, really. They should have made us go somewhere to do something else. Like make us go to Hebra? Or even that side quest with the Rito chicks, the sisters. Oh, like finding all of them? Yeah. Well, that would have been fucking tedious, though. That would have been like finding the bombers in Majora's Mask. I guess. We Monica mentioned this earlier, but I think it's worth talking about now because we haven't talked about the Rito very much. Um, the Rito in Breath of the Wild are very bird-like compared to the way they were in Wind Waker. In Wind Waker, they were basically Hylians with beaks instead of noses, and sometimes they would have wings. But in Breath of the Wild, they are very much uh, bird people. Only they have hair. They have hair. Um, it's difficult to see on some of them. Teba's shonen protagonist rival hair looks a lot like feathers in the first place. And Rivali wears his in little braids that might read a little bit ambiguously. But if you find Saki, uh, she just has like pink hair done up in curls. And 
Hearth has this like swept over long black emo hair look. <laughs> they also have braided it sort of or they the, the whole Japanese anime thing where they've yeah. got like a cloth bound over They've got well, it's clearly hair. They've got the uh, link style sideburns, so to speak, except that they're braided. Yeah, it's a little weird. I don't know if it's weird. They just have hair. The Gorons have hair. <laughs> Why wouldn't the Rito have hair? Because they're feathered creatures. So does anything have feathers and hair? I think some dinosaurs might have. Birds are just avian dinosaurs. Literally, that's what they are, tax- taxonomically speaking. They also have boobs. <laughs> do, do the Rito women have breasts? Yes, they do. Oh, because I, I know that the Rito men also like have their chest puffed out at all times like birds, so I guess I never really looked at the Rito women's chest. Did they have titties, though? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. How else will they give milk to their young? <laughs> I just kind of figured that they'd regurgitate nourishment directly into their chicks' mouths. That would make sense. Wait, are the Rito mammals, do they give live birth? Or do they lay eggs? No, they lay eggs, right? I th- right? think. I. This has literally <laughs> never come up in the canon, to be clear. We don't know. Is there any reference to eggs? Like when I was a young egg something. I cannot believe that I'm Googling Rito eggs live on the podcast. Oh, the first return is a Reddit thread. Do Rito lay eggs? No one knows. It hasn't come up. Zora lay eggs. Mm, the Zora that are in Terminal lay eggs. It's not clear if the Zora and Hyrule do. Zelda.fandom.com, which I believe is the less worthy of the Zelda wikis, posits that the Rito probably lay eggs, but that isn't worth much to us. There's nothing to cite. That's why it's the lesser wiki. Listeners, please write in with whether or not you think the Rito give live birth. This is very important. It's extremely important. Well, all of the sisters seem like they're they're quintuplets. Yes. And I guess, you know, mammals can have quintuplets, but it's probably a lot easier with chicks. Like egg hatchedness. Five is really high for how many? I don't know how many eggs birds normally lay in a clutch. I have, no, I have no idea. All I'm going to do here is reveal my own ignorance, so I guess I'll back off of this one. So you go and you go up and you fight Vob Meadow. And the plan here is that Tebo will let Vob Meadow shoot at him while you take out its turrets, the only vulnerable part of its body, because it's covered in a big-ass force field. That's a really useful force field. With your bomb arrows. Luckily, the turrets are linked directly into the power generating the force field, because when you destroy it, the force field pops like a soap bubble. I like sure. this approach. Yeah? Yeah, it's fun. It You're is gliding up and down, shooting slow-mo arrows at its wings. Yeah, it is pretty cool, isn't it? You can't also run out of stamina because there's a huge updraft. And the updraft refills your stamina like the updraft around the dragons every time you take out your paraglider. I think this, the surrounding environment of this Divine Beast is the best one because... Like, the others, one's in the desert, one's in the middle of a lake, one's in the middle of a volcano. But here, because Vameto's in the sky, and the draw distance is enough that you can actually see the land below you, you get a good sense of how high up you are and the scale of the Divine Beast. It's very high. Yeah, it's so high that it's freezing. Alright, you actually have to 
wear uh, protective clothing that the Rito sell. Uh, they have cold resistant clothing in order to approach Va Meadows safely without constantly losing health to the cold. It's a cool fight and it's got good music. But then you board it and you do the thing. This is a good dungeon, I thought. There's a lot of gliding on it. Yeah, I like this dungeon. I like how a lot of it is exposed at the top. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You can walk around on top of it, see a lot of it, and you do the thing. And then you activate all the pieces. And then you fight the Wind Blight, which is a very interesting fight. And it's also an extremely good argument that Rivali did not have his weapon because the Wind Blight Ganon is trivialized by a bow. Like, it is sad how easily you can whoop this thing's ass. That must have sucked for Rivali. (laughs) Yeah, how did he lose his bow? He just didn't. It? He just didn't have it on him like the other champions. Because oh. when you accompany the princess to whatever mountain, um, you don't need any equipment. No, the hero is there. Yeah, Link will take care of it. That was a bad call. It was a very bad call. We haven't really talked about the champion memories outside of Mifas. Now that I think of it, we covered it like chronologically, didn't we? I. We covered Zelda's memories. We didn't cover Link's memories of the champion, I don't think. We talked about Mifa's memory in the Zora episode, though. That's where the argument about whether or not they were married came from. <laughs> well, the other ones are fine. Like, Daruk's is not very interesting. And Nabru... Uh, not Nabru. Urbosa's yeah. is... We just brought up during the chronological sequence. Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Rivali's is literally just like, ah, you can't fly, can you? Ah, see ya. That's the whole thing. Yeah, that's not very, very much either. There's a story about Rivali, and it's worth mentioning now, uh, as Rivali comes back into this sequence as a ghost, that um, Rivali, as he was framed in the game, didn't cause a sense of attachment for the player. Like, as they were testing through this, they went, you know what, Rivali's just kind of a dickbag. How are we going to fix this? So they went back and the change that they made was they rewrote Rivali's theme to make it much more emotionally resonant. It's a great theme. It's probably the best theme. Would you say it's the best character theme that they've got, Crystal? Let me listen to it. Oh, and Valmetto's um, theme is also great. Oh, yeah. every uh, The thing that the Rito Village region, like all Tabatha, really brings the noise for is its music. If all these themes pretty good. Yeah. It, it's, it's fine. And I mean fine, like, oh, my goodness, this is fine. Yeah, music goes a long way. It does. <laughs> like, without the music, I think that the Rito region would be a lot weaker than it is in terms of how it sticks in people's memories. But the Dragon Roost song is just... Oh, you can't... It's great. The the rendition of the Dragon Roost theme that's used for the Rito Village in this game is in the running for the best town theme that Zelda's ever had. It's so good. I like it better than the Wind Waker version. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Day and night. But it the goes, castanets. Yeah, I know. Castanets are great, but this, this game goes in for real. I mean, think of the first time that it swung in to yeah. the theme and you recognized it yeah yeah it was really good it's really good some people really like the whole rival character and which they they love rivali well the people love to ship link and rivali because rivali's a dick but he doesn't have anything else aside from that yeah so I mean, that means that what else are you going to do with him 
The two most popular Rivali ships, I think, are Rivali Link and Rivali Mifa for some fucking reason. Why? Oh, I know why. It's so they can just ship uh, Link and Sidon. Or Link and Zelda. You can't have Link and Mifa, so you might as well ship Mifa with Rivali, because who else are you going to ship her with? And they have exact opposite personalities. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why. But, like, you know, oftentimes there are characters such as Bakugo who are like, I'm I'm a jerk, but I'm also really good at stuff, so so I earned it. But Rivali's not even good at stuff. Yeah, he's good in one cutscene. He's good in a cutscene, but he forgot his bow. He did. So he couldn't kill the Windblight Cannon. Yeah. Mifa would totally roll over Rivali. Do you think? Yeah. How do you mean? She's she's actually, you know, very, not to say blunt, but... She has force of personality. She has force of personality. She just can't confess to her crush. All Mivali shippers within the sound of my voice... Write in to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com and maybe attach the subject line why I ship Mifa and Rivali and tell us about it. We will read those emails live on the podcast and we will just listen to it because I'd love to know about this ship because Rivali hasn't got a lot going on. (laughs) But he does give you what some would argue is the best of the champion powers, which is the ability to shoot like 50 meters straight up into the air. This is oftentimes the first recommended uh, Divine Beast for that reason. It bypasses a lot of the traversal problems that people have with the game, especially in the rain. It's a great power. It's a great power. Um, there's a lot of side quests in Rito Village. Oh, what what you we beat um, Windblight. Uh, yeah, what about it? And it just perches on Rito Village. Yeah, it does. Uh, how does that thing not break? Uh, a personal gravity generator. Then why is it roosting? Shut up. It has to be holding still to have steady aim. That doesn't say anything about gravity. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Um, There is a particular side quest that exists sort of in Rito Village that we haven't talked about at all. And uh, it ties into the second most popular ship for this game. And that's Cass. Yep. Cass is in semi-self-imposed exile as he tries to solve the riddles of various songs. For our listeners, Cass is a character that, if you are playing through the game, you will undoubtedly have run into several times during the course of your travels. He is a, what would you say he looks like, a a parrot? Yes. He's a blue parrot-looking Rito who is gathering up the song of the hero that was written by his master, who we will later learn was a court bard member of the Sheikah tribe, the other person besides Robbie who took Link to the Chamber of Resurrection. Um, And basically he gives you songs or lyrics that will give you hints about how to open up shrines or get treasure chests throughout Hyrule. And as you complete his riddles, he gets closer and closer to ending his self-imposed exile and going home. One of them is just like, get, like, throw off your clothes and like... Stand naked under the blood moon. (laughs) Great. 
Great. I, what were the Sheikah thinking when they created that? I don't know what to tell you. Blood Moon scary, being naked scary. Add them together, double scary. So you're courageous. Okay. But you you do all of these, and then Cass goes back home to his family. And, uh, yeah, we, we didn't give a lot of time to Cass in this, but he's a very pleasant person, and he plays music, and he'll often hang out at the, uh... Launch pad? No, I'm not back home. Out in the world, he'll often hang at the stables. And the stables have their own theme music, but when Cass is there, he'll play the accompanying, I guess you call it like a counter theme or something, which is a Pona's song. So when he's there, you get to hear the entire stable theme, which is an extremely nice effect. Um, when Cass goes home, you get to listen to the full, I guess it's the hero's theme. Yeah, it's basically the hero's theme. Yeah. It's the cool. bard is certainly reading into everybody's thoughts and feelings here. Yes, he is. Uh, the bard is the creepy 35-year-old man who was hot for Zelda when she was like 16. I don't know if he was 35, but we're going to pretend. Cass's quote about his teacher says that he was quite close to Zelda's age at the time. Oh, okay. Really? But at the time, there was a beautiful princess in the royal family quite close to my teacher in age, apparently. Okay, that's good. But I guess he was still the court poet? Yeah. Sure. Unless maybe... It wasn't Zelda, but Zelda's mother, Zelda. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where are we going with this? I'm saying the queen had a lot of suitors, including Urbosa and this guy. Huh. Well, oh, now I feel bad for this guy. Can you imagine that your romantic rival is Urbosa? Yeah, that's uh, that's, uh, a rough deal. (laughs) Just give up now. That's a hard hill to climb. But the song is definitely about... Zelda, the the princess that we know. Me versus the Gerudo, she tells me not to worry about. <laughs> God, there's a really good image meme out of that one. Oh, God. Okay, so anybody who's playing the game, definitely take the time to do all of Kaz's side quests, because they're all pretty decent. And the final song is nice. It is very I nice. I don't mean lyrically, it, Musically, it's very Musically, nice. when, whenever you get the hero's theme, the song yeah. of the hero, you're like... That's great. Yeah. I might, like, figure a way to put it in here somehow. I might not. We'll see. But it's still very good. So now we've got all four Divine Beasts. Let's do some more side quests around Rito Village. Yeah, all right. I like the newlywed Hylians who are here on a honeymoon. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) It was the choice of the husband, and the wife is peeved. She doesn't like it. It's too cold. And there's nothing to do. And... He's off scrambling to prepare some baked apples for her. Because that, like... She she just loves baked apples. All right. And you can give him flint to bake apples. He, If you refuse, he actually mentions that his wife might divorce him. There is divorce in Hyrule. This is a really bad honeymoon. This is a bad honeymoon. <laughs> um, the wife, you can just give roasted apples to. And she's like, oh, that's nice. Maybe I don't need my husband. Oh my goodness. Link, why are you sabotaging their relationship? Link's a dick. Um, and at night time, they, they sleep at the inn, but they sleep separately. Oh, they do? Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. This, this marriage is not going well. No. It looks like they may have rushed into it a little bit. Yeah. But there's divorce. Oh, sure. I guess there's marriage, so. Yeah. It only stands to reason. Um... 
there is also a whole bunch of quests with the with Cass's daughters. Yes, like having to make the salmon munier. Yes, one of them really wants salmon. What with the butter and the wheat, and I forget exactly how to make it in this milk. I don't know about the ingredients. I just know that a key thing is that you have to drizzle the hot butter across the salmon. Monica made salmon munier not too long after we played this game, and it's it's delicious. I can see why the child is so obsessed with it. Then you have to help find one of them. Yeah, she's just off in her own little world, whistling off-key. And then, finally, you have to help the girls sing their song which during makes, the training area. Which makes a shrine pop up out of the ground. Sure. How did the Sheikah plan for that? After... Hmm. After Kaz comes back, uh, during the day, he spends all day playing music with his daughters. And when they're called to go back home for dinner in bed, he's like, oh, man, raising kids is time consuming. It's like, yeah, Kaz, you left your wife to do this by herself for God knows how many months. You can deal with it a little bit. Yeah. So, Monica, I'm going to ask you, obviously, uh, there's three primary Rivali, uh, sorry, primary Rito men, so to speak, in this game. Uh-huh. There's Rivali, Teba, and Kaz. Obviously, Rivali is the least dreamy of those three. Yeah. How do the other two rank against each other? Teba's fine. Kaz is good. Yeah. I'd say that's about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's other Rito guys. There's Grayson. <laughs> He's the not part of kid he... that wants to run the shop. He's not part of this conversation. Okay. There's... The elder, who... I, again, this makes me think that Rito lifespans are really short. Why? He doesn't seem to really... Like, Rivali is a very distant legend to him, too. And he's so old to be disregarded by Teba and Heath. That just requires him to be, like, 80. 21. What is with you in liking to pretend that the peoples of Hyrule are so short-lived? Uh huh. We have no indications that that would be true. Like... When you talk to him, he actually recognizes you by sight and assumes that you must be a direct descendant of the Hylian Champion. Yeah. He knows who Link is by sight. But he actually does not know that... He thinks that the the Hylian Champion died. Yes. He didn't hear anything about um, the Shrine of Resurrection like Riju did. Right. The Rito, never... just, the Rito just weren't in the loop as much. But the implication there is that he's pretty old. Yeah, he's an owl. Does that follow? Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Anyway, Kaz is the most eligible. He's not eligible. He's not eligible, but I mean, like, if he was on the market, he'd be the Rito man you'd want to get with. He's provably a decent father, at least, when he's home. Yeah. That wraps up all four Divine Beasts. That does wrap up all four Divine Beasts. So what are we left with here, Crystal? How much more of the game do we want to cover? Well, we still need to cover Terrytown. Yeah. Uh, we still need to cover the forest. The secret yeah, there's a fifth certain ah, <laughs> spiky, yes. shiny, glowy sword that we have to go pick up. True, okay. Um, do we want to talk about the Farron region? There's okay. nothing in Farron region. Uh, no? No? <laughs> there's okay. stinky fruit in the Farron region. Wow. Huh. So you don't you probably don't want to talk about Hebra either then? We can talk about each of these. Oh. The next episode can be like a wrap up. And then Hyrule Castle. Yeah. 
Uh, do we want to talk about uh, the Champions Ballad DLC? We sort of covered it. I guess we can cover Link's, yeah, acquisition. Sure, that sounds fine. So do we, do we think that the next episode will be the last Breath of the Wild episode? I would never make a claim such as that. <laughs> okay, fair. But do we think we might aim for it? Last or second last? Damn. I don't know. I don't know how long we're going to talk about the DLC for. Fair enough. But do do we think that's a good place to call this episode, Crystal? I think that's a good place to call the episode. Woo. Woo. Now it's time to read some questions. Yeah, questions. Oh, the place that you can send in questions are to myself and Crystal on Twitter, at CamWriter and at Arcane Crystal, respectively. Or, for long-form questions, we especially love to get questions at the podcast email, bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. That's bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. Let's answer some Twitter questions. Yeah, Twitter. Dustin writes in, What's your favorite weapon type to hoard? Do you go for the heavy weapons, the pole arms, or the basic swords? Or maybe some other type of weapon I'm not remembering because I haven't played that game since the week it came out. Ooh. Um, As the resident hoarder, Monica, <laughs> you should definitely weigh in first. Yes. I liked having one each of the elemental weapons, usually in the greatsword version. And then I would have a leaf and a hammer. Yeah. And then I would have... A whole bunch of, I guess, royal swords. Any royal type weapon you would pick up yeah. first. Um, and then the remaining would all be Lionel clubs and swords. So you didn't have a tendency toward one particular style of weapon? No, I just like the really overpoweredness. I like swords. Um, I do. What about you, Crystal? Uh, I... Don't really have a preferred weapon type, but just kind of use what I pick up. Oh, cool. That's probably the best way to do it, but... I guess I don't really like spears. Didn't you have any kind of predilections for, like... Those would still come up even if it's mostly just you picking things up. When you're choosing between weapons to drop when you pick up a new good thing, which were you most likely to drop? Basic swords, I suppose. Especially mm. once I got the Master Sword, and that was my sword. Yeah, that's fair. And I guess I would have an Ancient Axe or something. Plus, plus. Right. You always have a Guardian weapon. Monica likes to carry weapons to deal with specific situations. I think probably... I like flavors. I think probably all of us did. We all had our weapons that we carried around to deal with uh, specific combat scenarios. For me, I think that I generally prefer two-handers... For the simple reason that you can output the most damage with them before they break. Mm -hmm. So they make sense to me like on the economic level in terms of how many monsters you can kill with it before it shatters. And I don't know if that holds across all of them, but it definitely holds at least in a few cases. For that reason, I never carried more than one or two spears at a time. Because spears are only really useful for killing Keese and Lizalfos. But a bow will just do for that. Or bombs. Bombs for keys, yeah. But for Lizalfos, I like to have a spear on hand because their tendency to dance out of range will get them out of short sword or long sword range, but not for a spear. I really liked the boomerangs, but I didn't like them. <laughs> They're fun, but you never really use them. And then, you know, if they get whacked out, then you have to run and find them again. Yes. 
So that, that's our answer to the question. I did also like carrying one of each uh, elemental weapon type, but I would prioritize not using a fire weapon or an ice weapon so that I could use them to add an extra layer of buffer for yeah, elemental you, protection. Yeah, if you equip them, then it, it can cool or heat you. Yeah. I also use the fire weapons to melt ice. Fire and ice is very good for dealing with enemies of the opposite type. If you hit an Iceless Alphos with a Fire Weapon or a Fireless Alphos with an Ice Weapon, it'll hit, kill them in one hit, which can make the spears for those elemental types extremely useful because they have the highest raw number of hits before they break. I've thought about this particular aspect probably too much. <laughs> you like the numbers. I love to do the numbers. But it helps when you're going through Master Mode to know the numbers. Next question. Chris writes in, Regarding the U.S. Zelda comics being based on the cartoon, did you forget the time Shotaro Ishinomori made a Link to the Past comic specifically for Nintendo Power? Yes, the guy who created Kamen Rider, Cyborg 009, Kikaider, Akumizer 3, and more? We didn't forget that one. No. I think we've talked about it. Maybe very briefly, because that's different from the Link to the Past manga that was made with the hellish berserk-style uh pyramid of power right um this is the one with the original rito character <laughs> yes the the character who is clearly one of um uh, ishinomori's characters yes like that's just one of his people shown up i think it was officially translated and we have a copy of it oh is that the same one that i have was there only one of those I don't know. Uh, we'll double check it, and I'll look like a jackass for anyone who knows better. But we will correct my incorrectness before the end of this. But no, we we didn't forget about it. It's the one with the really great ending. But it it, it does have a really good ending. That is just it's sad. just made for Monica's. Yay! It's pure Monica bait. Do you know how that one ends, Crystal? I do not. Well, throughout the the manga. Um, Link and Zelda meet in dreams. Like, they have a psychic connection that allows them to hold conversations as if they were in the same room together when they're asleep. And it happens more than once. Like, one time I think he's very heavily injured and he wakes up in, in Zelda's lap or something. There's a real sense of intimacy fostered between the two of them. But at the end, um, Zelda has uh, ascended the throne and Link is the Knight of the Triforce or something like that. And... They meet each other at one point, and she remarks that they haven't really been close to each other, and they no longer meet in their dreams. Um, they've really grown apart because and of their respective duties. It keeps them apart. Yeah. And I think it's that she comments specifically how bittersweet it is to finally know him in person, but to be so far removed compared to when they met only in their dreams. Good stuff. That's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> it, it, it's really good. It's like the best like half official Z-Link thing that's ever been made. I like the Himekawa comics and their relentless Z-Link. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But that particular bit, that particular sadness, yeah. I think they handled that better than Skyward Sword did. Oof, wow. I'm not wrong. No, I like Skyward Sword better. Okay, fair enough. It's really good. Crystal, if you get the opportunity, you should totally read it, including if that means you have to pirate it. Okay. The Book of Medora does not condone piracy. But, you yeah. know, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. 
I'm neutral. (laughs) (laughs) It may be at your local library. Yes, definitely um, get it from your local library. You you should support your local libraries. Those are good things to have. Yeah, they're like the most one of the most important cultural things that government has and supports. And it's always important to support libraries. Support independent creators. Yes, do that too. Like Crystal, actually. We'll get, oh. to, we'll get to that later. Jade writes in, Hi, Cameron, Monica, and Crystal. I have a quick Breath of the Wild question for you guys. What do you think is the significance of Arbosa's line where she says Ganondorf once took the form of a Gerudo? Is she referring to Ocarina of Time? And if so, is she saying that he was not in fact born a Gerudo and him appearing that way was just another manifestation of the curse of Ganon? P.S. She says this right after you complete the Divine Beast Vanaboris. P.P.S. I love your podcast and all of you. Thank you for reigniting my love of a series I grew up with. You will never know how much it means to me. Thank you, Jay. That's very sweet. Oh, that's so sweet, Jade. Thank you. Thank you. What do we think of this line from Arbosa? We've covered it a couple of times, but we've also had time to reflect on it, I think. Hmm. I think the way she says it, it's really recognizing or uh, with the understanding that Ganon is a reoccurring, never-ending thing. And from the Breath of the Wild perspective, Ganon is eternal. He's been here since the beginning of time. Right. And, you know, at one point, but there could have been something before, and there definitely was bunches after, he was a Grudo. At some point. Mm-hmm. I, and it's possible that she, along with the rest of the Grudo, might want to deny his Grudo-ness, but I don't think she's that myopic about it. I do think it's in reference to Ocarina of Time. What do you think, Crystal? I think there is a recognition that Ganon is older than Ganondorf, and that when looked when you look at Ganondorf with a long view of history, he clearly fits in as a person who took on the shape of Ganon rather than what defines Ganon. So it's almost like a meta commentary about Ganondorf's role in the series. Yeah, he's gone. It's like people tend to think of Ganondorf as being the real bad, but it was never really him in the first place. Ganon is the adversary. It's interesting because Ganon is at such a cosmic level, especially in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. It's hard to say, hey, this was once just a person. Is it possible that they've looked back on him and his age being so long that they've started to equate earlier catastrophes with the Calamity? Like, if their records go back so far that they can remember the events of Breath of the Wild, do they think of Demise as an incarnation of the Calamity? I'm sorry, to remember Skyward Sword, do you think that they think of Demise as an incarnation of the Calamity? Maybe, but I'd more think that their record keeping is good, but somewhat mixed up. So they don't quite know where things go chronologically. Oh. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of time passed. Fair. What do you think of it, Crystal? I think they're definitely at a point where they might contribute things to the Calamity, even if the Calamity was not necessarily involved directly. Mm. History is a funny thing in The Legend of Zelda. This next one is uh, one that the instant I saw it, I knew we needed to answer it at some point. (laughs) The Holy Light writes in, Been listening to Book of Medora. 
Loving it, but I want to know, what's your guys' view on World of Warcraft? A sub-question, what class do you think suits you best? I was never much... Oh, World of Warcraft. Yes, World of Warcraft. Crystal, you have to field this one. I've never played World of Warcraft. Shit! (laughs) Have you played Warcraft? Nope. Have you played Starcraft? Nope. Have you played an MMO? Yes. Oh, what, what was that? What's the reticence on that yes? Uh, I've played RuneScape. Ah, okay. So um, the three of us are all more or less level on this. I thought that Warcraft's particular brand of silly lore would be right up your alley. Really? Yeah. Things like cosmic time dragons that rule over all reality and stuff or something. I know there's uh, corruption. Yeah. Aren't there like space things? Yeah. But this is just me thinking about Warcraft, the not world of. Yeah, we, we played Warcraft 3 back in the day. Um, our opinion on it is that it changed video games. <laughs> I was a Starcraft person. Yeah, Monica played Starcraft more back in the day. She liked, uh, what was he, Jim Rayner? Yes. No, you liked anyone who said 4 IR. I liked the Protoss. Yeah, the Protoss were Monica's crew. I liked the Carriers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she did. I was a Zerg person for StarCraft. Ooh. But, I mean, that kind of follows, because in Warcraft, I always played the Undead Legion, or whatever the hell they were called. The Lich? Well, I mean, you were led by the Lich King until Arthas killed and became the Lich King, or merged his soul with the Lich King, back in Warcraft 3, the the Frozen Throne. Warcraft is very silly, and I don't know what the classes in Warcraft are. We can talk about general classes, I suppose. Crystal, what class did you play in in RuneScape? RuneScape? Uh, Well, RuneScape doesn't really have classes. It just has skills. How did you spec yourself? Mercantilly. Really? I like to mine and I like to sell for profit. Oh, that's interesting. Interesting. What about you, Monica? I always liked being the big damage dealer. Fair. (laughs) Smashy, smashy. Yeah, Monica likes being the physical damage dealer. So I guess you need to support me. Uh, I'm not going to be no white mage. Like I, I, let's. We're going to do the really bad thing here. Let's transfer this over into like Final Fantasy classes. Crystal, what Final Fantasy class best describes you? (laughs) Oh no! Did I ask something outside of your scope of knowledge there? Uh, what are the Final Fantasy classes? Woof. <laughs> I played a month of Final Fantasy fourteen. I think I was an archer. That's cool. Uh, Monica, in Final Fantasy V, is there a mercantile class? Yeah. Uh, there, there's a class that throws money at people, right? Oh, Guild Toss. That's great. But I think that was part of, like, the ninja FF5 jobs. Yeah, jobs. They were called jobs back in that day. Good, they give us pictures and not names. Why, why would they give you pictures and not names? I mean, Ah, uh, no, never mind. This is all yeah. nonsense. No, it's not really working. No. I would be, for Worldcraft classes, uh, War, War Warcraft, I would definitely be one of the Infernals that you can get summoned by the demon-looking guys that do chaos damage that you can't defend against. Wait, so you're not a playable character? No. I'm allowed to say that. Okay. But thank you for the question, the holy light. I'm sorry that none of us know Warcraft. <laughs> At all. But What's thank you. What's a blue mage? 
A blue mage can get hit by enemy skills and learn those skills. Depending on the Final Fantasy, it is either really bad or really good. Just broken ass really good. Are you a blue mage? Uh, what's all There's white magic, black magic, red magic, blue magic. Is that it? Uh, well, red magic, a red mage just uses both white and black magic. Depending on the game, there's also, like, time mages. and Yeah, time mages, geomancers, dancers. It's all kinds of stuff. You might like bard, Crystal. Bard? They're a buff class. Play songs okay. from the back row. <laughs> I like Noctis. Noctis. Okay, Noctis would be, like, he's basically a summoner. A summoner is a good class. Oh, yeah. Yeah, summoning's cool. Summoning's cool. So I guess we could say Crystal's a summoner. Okay. What about you, Monica? A dragoon? Let's be a dragoon. And I'll be a dark knight. Okay. Yeah, that'll work. Caleb asks, if you could make a cast for a Breath of the Wild movie, who would be your cast? Breath of the Wild has a lot of characters. <laughs> the The Breath of the Wild movie would be an animated production. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, who would be the voices? It would be bip, 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 bips. Oh, okay. You would just read the text. Yeah. It would just be Breath of the Wild, only the voices have turned into bip, bips. Here's the other thing. Me and Monica don't really know actors. There's the there there's the long and short of it. So, Crystal, it's all on your shoulders. Danny DeVito as Rome. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what? Why not? Kristen Stewart as Link. Um... Who's Kristen Stewart? Twilight. Twi- Twilight Lady. Oh, oh! I never watched those movies. How is she? She's fine. I would want Eddard, like the king guy, to be Rome. Eddard. Not Eddard. What was his name? Edward? No, no, no. She's talking about the guy who plays uh, Robert. <sighs> Robert. In Rob. Game of Thrones. Yes. Sorry, I was thinking of Ned. Robert the king. Yes. Who dies. He does a great job. But this is... Oh, whatever. Leticia Wright as Princess Zelda. Okay. Uh, who's left? <laughs> Ganon? Who plays Ganon? Ganon is just a bunch of screams. Ganon is Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis as Ganon. Yeah. Daruk as voiced by Ron Perlman. I mean, sure. Who, who are we casting as Arbosa? Um... Keanu Reeves. I think we've hit the limit. I think we've hit the limit of how much we can meaningfully say Bail. about this. We are bailing now. I, I would like an animated feature. Yeah, an animated feature. And they should be cast by uh, a voice director who knows what they're doing. Not us. Bip, 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 bip. Monica does would, like the bit bit. Who'd you get to direct? Um, Shit, I'm not sure. What do you think, Monica? Nintendo. Nint- Nintendo. That's not- that's not a thing. No. No. Who at Nintendo is directing this film? This motion picture. This talkie. No talking. Monica says it's not a talkie. <laughs> okay, does it have color? Yeah, it does have it color. It has color. It's a silent film. <laughs> no, it's not silent. It's just got no talking in it. Because Monica well, doesn't... The, Monica does the music... <laughs> The music is played live. Oh, okay. By at the sure. Theater, okay. But the film itself is silent. All right. This is very experimental. It'll be interpretive dance. Oh, directed by Seth Rogen. 
Taika Waititi. Okay, that's an interesting choice. I mean, I would support that. Starring Taika Waititi as Link. You know what? Book it. Let's go. I would also trust the Castlevania director guy. Sure, why not? Uh, written by Warren Ellis, and now there's voice acting. God, what? I like that Taika Waititi is using his line of credit on the the remake of Akira and on himself playing Adolf Hitler. Uh, mm, yeah. Wait, is he the one who's remaking Akira? Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. All right, now I'll probably watch that movie. They can't trick me into watching Cowboy Bebop. That They can trick me into Akira since Watiti's there. I think Cowboy Bebop is much more adaptable than Akira. Absolutely. But what happens if they don't use Yoko Kano's music? You think they wouldn't? I think, I think they'd just license that soundtrack and use it. I hope you're right, but I got a bad feeling, Crystal. Maybe they'll make, like, 21 Pilots covers of Tank. Ooh, wouldn't that be something? I think we've reached the end of the Twitter questions. Would you like to read email? Sure. Would you like me to read an email? Sure. Is it the long email? No. I mean, it's large-ish, but we always get large emails. This email comes in from Andrew. Hello, everyone. I have really enjoyed hearing about all the Legend of Zelda games and lore. And I thought I would write in with a theory that I have that Skyward Sword is both the start and the end of the story. Oh, I already like where this one is going. The theory goes like this. When Ganondorf makes his wish on the Triforce, he becomes destined to rule over all things by the power of the Triforce. This leads to Ganondorf becoming Ganon, returning from the dead, the merging of the timelines, and Phantom Ganon. However, this will eventually lead to him becoming something else. A being that conquers, if you will, or perhaps a king, who would go on to conquer the last barrier to total conquest of everything, time, and meet someone who can see through time, Hylia. These two fight and are roughly matched, but Demise has the Triforce empowering him, but as we know, the Triforce cannot be used fully by gods and probable godlike beings, but it is enough to mortally wound Hylia while Demise is sealed away. However, Demise is still under the effects of Ganondorf's wish, and so would eventually overcome even this, and Hylia knows or can see that, so she needs something that is immune to the power of the Triforce to finish Demise for good. Cue Skyward Sword, where the spirit of the hero is forged by resisting the power of the old gods, that is, the Triforce. In this telling of the story, Demise's so-called curse is in fact him warning the spirit of the hero, who would quite possibly be one of the only two people that Demise could see as close to a peer, that he would return to the world in time. Sorry of the long rambling email. Please let me know what you think of this read of the timeline. Thank you for all the great content, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. That's very kind. Thanks, Andrew. I like this theory. It's fun. I don't think it lines up with the events of Skyward Sword, though. Like, framing the Zelda timeline as circular, as cyclical, yeah, I think that works. I think there's something to this. Even the idea that Ganon eventually becomes Demise, becomes Ganon, sure. You'd have to insert a lot more years in between. Ganon's, That's workable, though. Ganon already seems like he's scarier than Hylia is. Really? The Calamity Ganon. Yeah, I would say so. Hylia is represented by Zelda here. Yes. And she still handily b- defeats him. With what? Triforce. Uh-huh. After holding him down and keeping him at his weakest state post-defeat for a hundred years straight, 
but she can't hold him down forever. I think it's pretty clear here that Ganon at full strength is much worse than Zelda. True, but she is not Hylia. But the other thing is that Demise doesn't have the Triforce. The entire thing about Skyward Sword is Demise seeking the Triforce. That's true. What do you make of it, Crystal? Hmm. Well, he didn't have the Triforce originally in the fir- in earlier in Meta Time, but when he goes back in time to become Demise because he conquered time, he'd have it. Or not have it? I like the idea of a Hylia that retreats to the edge of time and then has to, like... <sighs> head back <laughs> towards the not edge of time. <laughs> like Hylia is caught in this endless loop where she has to keep going back to the beginning of time and slugging it out with Ganon. That's pretty cool. It's a very cool idea. It's a very cool read on the timeline. I think there's problems with taking it as part of the text of the games as presented, but it's a very cool read there. You know I love cycles. You do love cycles. I love when the heroes are caught in a cycle, but eventually use the power of friendship to break through it. What is an example of a story where that happens? (laughs) I need to take a picture of his face. Yes. That's a good show, and you should watch it. It's actually a pretty good take on Scoober Doober. Where can can this be watched? Uh, To, like, Groundhog Day? I mean, it can be purchased. doesn't look like it's streaming anywhere. All right. Well, we'll see about looking into it regardless. Do you like the... I'm going to bleep that out because that's a spoiler. Oops. I mean, what I said about... is also a spoiler. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess I'll bleep that out too. Do you like Groundhog Day? That's not a spoiler. It sure isn't. The question was to you though, Crystal. What was the question? Do you like Groundhog Day? I like Groundhog Day. You do enjoy Majora's Mask somewhat. I do enjoy Majora's Mask. That is a cycle that, mm. you, that you break with friendship. Mm. Mass effect? Yeah. To a degree, that also describes Dragon Age. Yeah, it does describe Dragon Age. You could draw parallels between uh, Harel and Shartan. Mm. It also describes the entire Legend of Zelda series, depending on how you read it. It is very cyclical. We're at the two-hour mark. Can we squeeze in one more question? Let's get one more email. I can read it. Okay. Phil writes in, Greetings, everyone, at Book of Medora. While I was re-listening to the first episode about Breath of the Wild... Re-listening, wow. Yeah. Uh, Cam mentioned that even after Link regains his memories, he is never really the same as he was a hundred years ago. This led to a new idea of what exactly took place in the Resurrection Chamber. I believe Link died that day a century ago. It is a a resurrection chamber after all. But what if the Link we play as is actually a new spirit of the hero, born into the previous Link, or possibly even a clone or something similar? This would mean that Link does not regain his memory, but instead is is awakening the memory of his ancestor in a similar way that Zelda has with the goddess Hylia. I like the idea of there being a method of awakening the hero the same way that Zelda did in Skyward Sword. He journeys to the same fountains as Zelda, but is forging his spirit instead of purifying it. This would explain why he's not the same as Link from before, the same way that Zelda is not the same as Hylia. Anyway, just an interesting thought that I'd love to hear you discuss. Love your show, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Now, this does uh, beg the question, what exactly is the difference between regaining your memories 
and awakening to a past life. Hmm. Could could you build on that a little bit? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, this is the classical Greek ship thing, right? Yeah, the ship, ship of the ship of yes. um, Locks socks. So it would be like a chamber of reincarnation, in a sense. If that was so, then really any body could do. Though the way that it's framed here, um, Phil is talking about Link forging his spirit into being the hero. Like, it's not like this is a completely new person who comes out as a blank slate and is a huge badass to start with, but is basically starting from point zero, where Link would have been when he was a kid in the backstory of Breath of the Wild. Like, this is a new person that starts with the basic tools that Link had as he forged himself into the hero 100 years ago. You do, you do love your hero forging. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're not reading it as a straight reincarnation, that's a pretty cool idea that I enjoy quite a lot. That would really trip up everybody that Link interacts with. Well, yes. I mean, specifically Zelda. Oh, do you really remember me? What, what a question that would be. Is regaining your memory different from reliving a from recalling a past life though is it i guess that depends on what you see as a continuity of identity yeah it's the ship i don't even know about it being a straight ship of theseus kind of thing because that means that we share continuity with all of our past lives doesn't it is is that what you're saying crystal sure does does that mean that i carry within me every sin that i've committed since the beginning of time do i still possess that same responsibility you got original sin don't you no i don't really believe in original sin mm. you also got dunked in water well doesn't let that me ask you this. <laughs> how how do animals such as birds know how to build a nest or where to migrate in the winter i don't actually know the mechanics behind what we think of as instinctive behavior well instinctive behavior is just another term for genetic memory mr miles and the animus is a machine that can be used to project genetic memory oh, god damage. damn it we didn't have our ass creed <laughs> reference this this uh oh. particular episode what is a memory mr miles good i'm glad that you got me sitting here thinking about the idea of inherited responsibility for things that you couldn't have possibly prevented the idea of sameness across lifetimes regardless of the circumstances of your birth and it just leads into talking about assassin's creed all people are affected by the circumstances of their birth is the circumstance of your birth more important than your memory in what context in terms of determining responsibility for things that you may have done in a past life. Hmm. So if Ganondorf gets reincarnated into a baby, that baby can be tried for Ganondorf's crimes? Is that what you're saying? No, that would be absurd. What makes it absurd, though? What is the base assumption that we have going here? And what do we base that assumption on? A new life is a reset counter. If it's a reset counter, then it must be different, because recalling your memories means that you did do those things. If Ganondorf were to lose his memories and go on to do good things, but at one day regained his memories, would we pretend that he is no longer responsible for the horrors that he committed in those prior days? Is, that, a, is that as absurd as prosecuting a baby? 
Legally, I suppose our system would still prosper. I don't give a fuck about legally. But ethically, if they're an utterly changed person. But when you regain your memory. So do you just hope that you don't regain your memory? You can't hope for shit because you don't remember. Are you a different person when you don't remember? Perhaps. If you regain that memory, do you once more become that person? Link clearly doesn't. So you're saying if Ganondorf got bonked in the head and forgot all the evil crimes he did, then he could no longer be held responsible? I'm not suggesting that at all, no. Though I think the idea of true amnesia is something that the idea of responsibility would have trouble coping with. How much is personhood, the continuity of being, tied into memory? Well, there's also the Bucky Barnes principle. Oh, Jesus. Where, uh, you know, in Captain America 3, Captain America's like, it's not your fault, Bucky. You were mind controlled while doing those horrible crimes. It's, you're not, it's not your fault. Bucky's like, yeah, I know, but I still did it. That's a cool line, I guess. It's a good line. I don't know if it's, like, philosophically cogent. It's not. Steve should have just stared at Bucky at that point and went like, Bucky, God damn it! <laughs> Go get some counseling. How much would the whole MCU have changed if Steve, like, just beat up Bucky hard enough to take him to therapy? I think Bucky would be very open to going to therapy. The problem is everyone keeps trying to arrest him. True, true. But also that line suggests that Bucky has internalized that he kind of deserves that state of being for being a mind-controlled puppet. Back to Breath yeah. of the Wild. Back it, to Breath of the Wild. <laughs> it's it's really I think of it as such a happy story that Link managed to get like a reset so that he can overcome all of the shitty expectations and you know live a carefree happy life. This is the same person, so to speak. It's just that he is not burdened by his past. His continuity of being is not dependent on remembering who he was before. Is what you're saying? Yes. Also, Zelda does not get a reset. No, she doesn't. That really sucks. My favorite way to play through the Mass Effect trilogy... <laughs> oh, Jesus. ...is to be extre- is to go one way Paragon or Renegade in Mass Effect 1, and then Mass Effect 2, after you have died and gotten better, go completely the other way. Like you just had a complete personality shift. Yes. That's one of the things they do in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where they talk about, oh, Phil Coulson has changed a lot since he died and was brought back to life. Like, he kind of isn't the same person, even though he does have his memories. You know what would be really cool? What? Actually, I forget where I was going with that. (laughs) Do you know what would be really cool? What? No, I know you don't. No, apparently not. What the hell did I want to say? (laughs) Memories, people, reincarnation... No, I got nothing. It was probably related to Mass Effect. <laughs> Mass Effect was a good series of video games. I don't think that it's as good as The Legend of Zelda, though. No. Otherwise, we would have a Mass Effect podcast. <coughs> I don't know if I could handle that. Mass Effect's no Dragon Age. Oh, right. I forgot that you hold that Dragon Age Inquisition is the best Bioware game. Not even close. Wait, What? Not even close. Well, what's what's the best one then? No, I I mean it's it it's quality oh. is high above the others. Oh, got it. Power okay, gap. it's by far the best. Yes. 
Fair enough. That I've played. I is that a saying that Monica should definitely play Dragon Age Inquisition? I think it's pretty good. I mean, Monica can make her own scenes. <laughs> yeah, but just as a recommendation. Yes, I would recommend it to you, Monica. Oh, okay. Wait, is that all it takes? <laughs> I don't know. God damn it! I've been recommending that game to you for five years. Have you? Yes. Okay. God. Is it on the Switch? No. <laughs> It's not. It is on the Xbox 360. It's on the PlayStation 4. I own it on PC. Yeah, but then I'd have to come over to your computer. Uh, that's true. But you could put it on the PS4. Pretty sure it's pretty cheap now. No, oh. I'd want to yeah, play it on PC. Anyway, now now we're just going to be. If you were looking to get some discussion out of that, Phil, I hope that this fulfilled your expectations. We went places. I'm not quite sure why or. How? We're still thinking about it. Is this next one from Raru? <laughs> and about Raru? I, I think we can save that for the next episode. Next episode's special guest, Raru, the Sage of Light. God. All right. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Good. Is it you time ready for a Zelda joke? joke? I actually found a pretty good one. Yay. Yeah, that's. I a- don't think I've done this one before. Crystal, where- this was surprisingly easy to find. Crystal, where can we find you online? Oh, you can find me at Lon online at Arcane Crystal on Twitter, patreon.com slash Arcane Crystal, where you can kick in some money to get podcasts early, like uh, like the Book of Medora. Yeah, like the Book of Medora and also MCU Complete Me. So become a patron today, like Audrey Burke. Who's Audrey? Oh, Audrey is a $10 patron on that Patreon. Or if you've kicked in ten dollars and get your name read aloud whenever I plug this Patreon. It's just that's how cool Audrey is. Uh-huh. Give me the joke. This joke comes in from IGN thread Zelda Jokes, posted by user Ziaber on April 20th for 20, 2013. How about you go make like a timeline and split? That was pretty good. I like it. I like it's great. It. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye. <laughs>